All right, Acts 10, 1 through 48. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he, start, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by, the whole, by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them into, so he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers of Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked to him, he went in. Excuse me. <clears throat> And as he talked to him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Or I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, 
Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witness, we, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of Jews and in, and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name." While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So I'm going to try really hard to talk without moving an arm, but I'm not making any promises. Um, So today we've got this passage where uh, Peter goes to visit Cornelius. So last time in Acts... Uh, Peter is staying in Joppa with with Simon the Tanner. We talked last week about how Simon was a Tanner, and because he's a Tanner, he had an unclean profession. He would have been seen as unclean himself, but we have evidence that the Spirit has been working on Peter to make him okay with staying at this guy's house, staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. And so he, he, he does that. That's where we left him off. Today, we pick up by getting introduced to this guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile who lives in Caesarea. He's a, a a centurion, a Roman soldier who was stationed there. He was part of the Italian cohort. That means he would have probably come from uh, from Rome to be there, stationed there. And he's someone who Luke says was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually before God. And so within Uh, you know, the kind of the Jew-Gentile relationship. If a Gentile wanted to become a follower of God, there's kind of a a process, a transition they go through. They start out as as a pagan, somebody that's kind of completely outside, has nothing to do with God. And then there's a second category that they can move into, which is called a a God-fearer. 
That's somebody that hasn't kind of fully converted over to Judaism, but has, has kind of believed some of the things they believe and they try to live differently. Uh, and then the third category would be a proselyte. That would be somebody who like completely submits to the law. They get circumcised. They follow the food laws. They're like all in, even though they're not Jewish by descent. Cornelius is in that, that second category. He's, he's a God-fearer. We find out, uh, we'll find out next week in 11.3 that he, he has not been circumcised, but he's, he's trying to live differently. He, he generously gives to people. Uh, he prays continually. Um, and I think one thing that we should take away from this, seeing, seeing this guy, Cornelius, who's a Roman soldier, who's, who's trying to live his life in a way that glorifies God, who, who gives generously, who is generous, who prays continually, is that Cornelius is doing all of this without the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit doesn't fall on him till the end of this chapter. So everything that's been said about him up to this point is him doing these things, uh, which to me, as somebody who has the Holy Spirit, who struggles to, to pray, who struggles to be generous, uh, like that, that, that was a little convicting to me this week to, to see that. Um, and he's, he's though out of, out of worship to God, out of fear for God, reverence and awe is, is striving to live differently, even without the Spirit in him working to make that happen. Um, but that's, that's where he's at. He is praying about the ninth hour. It's a typical hour of prayer, about 3 p.m. And Luke tells us that he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and speak to him. And as we would expect, Luke tells us that he, Cornelius, stared at him in terror. That's what happens. When an angel shows up, people freak out. He says, what is it, Lord? Like, what, what, what do you want? What, what do you need? And the angel says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. So he uh, has this vision as he's praying where he's supposed to send guys to, Caesar, or to, to Joppa to get Peter so that Peter can come and tell him uh, something that he's supposed to tell him. So when the angel gets done speaking, Cornelius calls some servants. He calls a soldier and he sends them to Joppa to find this guy named Simon, Peter, who is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. And what's, what's interesting here is that he uses, uh, he, he switches back to using Peter's Hebrew name, Simon, um, because he's a Gentile. Peter's a Jew. Um, and so he sends these guys. These guys are on their way to Joppa to get Peter. And as that's happening, we find out what's taking place in Peter's life. Peter, the next day, as these guys are on their way, uh, they're approaching the city. He goes up to the housetop about the sixth hour, about noon, to pray. And as he's praying, Peter gets hungry. And so he asks for some food. And as the food is being prepared, uh, Luke tells us that he falls into a trance. Uh, he is, is I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what's happening here with the trance. He seems to have a similar vision as uh, Cornelius does. And his vision is that there's this great sheet descending from heaven. It's like a giant picnic blanket coming down out of the sky. And on it, uh, there are all kinds of, of animals and reptiles and birds. It's just, it's just full. When it talks about kind of the four corners coming down, I think it's, it's emphasizing the size of this thing. Like it's spread out. It's, it's huge. It's massive. It's coming down from the heavens. And it has all different kinds of, of animals and reptiles and birds on it. And he hears a voice. Uh, in this vision from heaven, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter, 
as Peter is prone to do, decides he's going to correct this voice from heaven and say, oh no, I've never eaten anything unclean. The voice says, what God has made clean, do not call common. And then Luke says this happened three times, and then the thing was taken up at heaven at once. And so Peter, Peter gets this re-emphasized uh, three times, because Peter needs things re-emphasized multiple times, just like, just like some of us do, or most of us do. He has this vision, and uh, this vision is telling him that these things that he previously thought were unclean are not unclean. They're, they're not common. He shouldn't see them that way. He shouldn't call them that. Uh, so he has this vision, and as he's having this vision, as he's kind of coming out of it, and he's beginning to think, what does this vision mean? There's these guys from Cornelius who show up at his house. So he's perplexed, he's processing, he's praying through it. And while he's pondering, Luke says, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So he's thinking about this vision that he's had, and he is moved by the spirit. The spirit speaks to him, tells him to go with these people. And I think that this is something that's important for us to see because when we think about the spirit, I think we do it in a very impersonal way. In fact, earlier, uh, this is slightly connected, but different. Earlier, there was, there was a song we sang. I don't remember what the name of it was because it's new. It wasn't my victory. It was the other one. But there was a line that said, uh, mercy is on its throne. And I really like the song. So don't hear me say I don't like the song. Um, but I think sometimes, and, and I do this too, we talk about mercy or we talk about grace or we talk about love as if they're this abstract force that are out there, right? I think when it says mercy is on its throne, it's, it's an artistic license to say that Jesus is on the throne, right? And Jesus is mercy. Jesus is gracious. We, we experience these things. We have these things uh, because we serve and love and worship a, a personal God who reaches out to his people. And so here in Acts, we see the Holy Spirit interacting with Peter, right? The Holy Spirit isn't an abstract force. He's not an it. He's a he. And here he speaks to Peter and tells him to go down and, and, and visit with these men. Um, so Peter goes down. He says, I'm the one that you're looking for. And they talk about how there's this guy named Cornelius, who's an upright guy, who fears God, who, who gives alms, who prays, who sent them uh, because of a vision, because of an angel to get Peter. So Peter invites them in. And I think there's two big takeaways we should have from this section of this passage. The first is, is the content of, of Peter's vision. Right? He has this vision where uh, this giant sheet comes down from heaven and he's told to rise and kill and eat. And it's repeated three times just to make sure he gets it right. Uh, even after he says, I, I haven't eaten anything unclean. So what this is telling us and what this is telling Peter is that the, the Old Testament food laws, right? Eat these things, don't eat these things. They don't apply to Peter anymore. Right? They're being done away with. 
that part of the law is not applicable anymore. Peter doesn't have to keep it. It's okay for him to eat these animals that were previously unclean. And, and Peter is going to apply that in greater ways in the next little section of this passage. So that's the first thing we should see here is that those Old Testament food laws are being done away with. That's why it's okay for us as believers to eat uh, kinds of food that it wasn't okay for people to eat in the Old Testament. The second thing that we should see here is that Peter is, is immediately applying this vision. He doesn't realize it yet. He's going to realize it a little bit later. But as he invites these more Gentiles into his home, he's already treating people that were previously thought as unclean differently. He's, he's accepting them. He's inviting them in. He's showing them hospitality. He's at somebody else's house, but he still invites them in. He lets them stay with him. He, he's not considering these people unclean or common. He's considering them as people that he should love and serve, people who are worthy of respect and dignity, and he invites them into his home and shows them hospitality. The next day, they get up and they go uh, to uh, Caesarea to, to be at Cornelius' house. And, and Peter takes some people with him from Joppa. Uh, some more Jews go with him. And when they get to Caesarea, uh, Cornelius is expecting them. He's gathered together people. Uh, it's not just him that wants to hear the gospel. He wants other people in his life, other people in his family. Uh, and so he's gathered people around to hear this message that Peter is going to bring. And so when Peter comes in, uh, Cornelius falls down at his feet and worships him. And we're going to see this happen several times as we go through the book of Acts. As, you know, Paul or Peter or someone shows up and the people respond by, by falling down and worshiping them. And immediately they're like, no, get up. I, I'm, I'm just a person. And we look at that and I think we think that seems ridiculous. But, but I wonder if we're honest with ourselves, how much we want to be worshiped. Or maybe how much we worship other people. And I think we should see Peter's normal response to this, right? It's, I don't think it's false humility from Peter. I think Peter is doing this because he knows that God alone, Christ alone is worthy of worship. And so when someone falls down to worship him, it, it's an offensive thing to him because of how he feels about Jesus. And so I think... This should cause us to make sure that, that we put our worship in the right places. And even though we want people to like us and appreciate us and, and view us highly, we want to remember with Peter that, that we too are just people. And because we're people, we're, we're broken and we're flawed and we mess up and we're, we're not worthy of worship at all. Peter goes into the room and he sees that, that lots of people are gathered together. Uh, and he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me, so this is him applying his vision. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So it's not just the food laws that are being done away with, it's other things too. He says, this used to be unlawful, but because I had this vision, things are different now. He says, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask you then why you sent for me. And Cornelius is going to now relay his vision. He's going to tell Peter, hey, this is, this is what happened. This is why I sent for you. I sent for you. And then he closes it out at the end of verse 33. He said, now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. He's gathered 
friends and family. He himself is there. They're gathered to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I don't know about you, but that reminds me of the Great Commission. Right? Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. So that's a major part of what Peter is supposed to be doing right now, right? He's supposed to be going out. He's supposed to be making disciples. He's supposed to be baptizing people. He's supposed to be teaching them all that Jesus commanded. And then here's this guy named Cornelius who's gathered a crowd, invited Peter over and says, hey, I want you to teach these people. I want you to teach me everything that Jesus has commanded. This is the Holy Spirit paving the way for the Great Commission to go forth, paving the way for Peter to do what Jesus has sent him to do. He gets to teach these people what Jesus has told him. So Peter opens his mouth and speaks. And as he speaks, he's going to tell them about what, what Jesus has done, who Jesus is. He's going, to, he's going to preach the good news of Jesus to these people. But first... He talks about what he's been learning recently. He applies a, a very specific gospel truth that he's been learning even in the last couple of days, even as he's on his way to Caesarea. So he says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter is learning. He's, he's understanding in a way that he hasn't before that God doesn't show partiality. And God not showing partiality should be very, very good news to us. Right? Whether, whether we think I've got it all together or we think I have nothing together, God not basing how he feels about us primarily on us should be good news to us. Because we know us. <laughs> There's this book called Counsel from the Cross, which is kind of an introduction to, to biblical counseling, gospel-centered biblical counseling. And it's, 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 it's really helpful. I, I commend it to you. But one thing that, that the authors talk about in that book, and, and I think maybe I've talked about this before, but they, they divide people up in, into two groups. Um, and those two groups are, uh, you're either a happy moralist or a sad moralist. And often we're, we're a little bit of both. But happy moralists are people that are like, look at me, I'm amazing, I'm so awesome. Of course, God would love me. Why wouldn't he love me? Because of who I am. Sad moralists are, are Eeyore. They're like, I'm awful, I'm the worst. No one will ever love me. How could God possibly love me? God not showing partiality is good news to both sad moralists and happy moralists, right? Sad moralists need to remember that God doesn't love you based on who you are. He doesn't love you uh, because you have it all together. He doesn't not love you because you don't have it all together. He loves you because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Your, your worth, your, your dignity, your value, your lovableness is not based on you. And so you don't need to be sad about who you are because God loves who you are. For happy moralists, you need to remember that God doesn't show partiality. He doesn't look at you and think, man, you're so much more awesome than all the other people around you. 
because he sees you and he knows you. He knows that you're not awesome. And that's okay because he loves you on the basis of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And Jesus is actually awesome. God not showing partiality is good news for us because it reminds us it's not about us. It's not about others. It's about God and who he is. And because of his character, he doesn't show partiality. Then Peter reminds them of of why he doesn't show partiality. It's because of what Christ has done. He talks about how uh, the word that he sent to Israel... Preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's there's two things we need to see here. The first is this thing called contextualization, which is a big word, which means talk to the people you're talking to, right? When you preach the gospel, preach the gospel in a way that makes sense to the people that you're speaking to. And we see Peter doing that in this passage, right? It's, it's, it's kind of weird when he says in verse 39, uh, we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. He doesn't normally say things like that. But in this case, he says things like that because he's talking to people that aren't Jews. And really, it's impressive that the first time Peter preaches the gospel that people aren't Jews, he has enough of the Holy Spirit in him to help him to do that well. He knows the gospel well enough to be able to take it and communicate it to the people that he's talking to in a way that makes sense to them. Now, I'm not saying we change the gospel, right? That's not what we're doing. We're just communicating it in a way that makes sense to the people. We see Peter doing that here, and we're going to see more examples of this as we move through the book of Acts, especially in Paul's speeches. They're almost completely different when he talks to a group of Jews versus when he talks to a group of Gentiles. The second thing, though, that we need to see here is this There's a couple of statements here which might be confusing. In verse 35, Peter says that, he says, God shows no partiality. And then he says, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And we might make the mistake of thinking that Peter there is teaching some sort of like works-based righteousness, right? Like if we fear God, if we do what's right, then we'll be accepted. But Notice where he ends up, verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Right? Peter makes it very clear, right? It's not about what we do. God doesn't show partiality. We, we should do what is right, but doing what is right is believing in Jesus. 
That's what we're called to do. That's where salvation comes from. That's how we become acceptable to God. Not by what we do, but by trusting in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that's what he calls them to. And as he's still speaking, right, Peter is going on. And this has happened to him multiple points in Acts, right? He's preaching. And before he gets to the end of the sermon, something happens to cut him off. Here, it's the Holy Spirit falling on all who hear the word. It says, and the believers from among the circumcised, so the Jews that came with Peter from Joppa, who had come, were, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So what's happening here is it's almost like a second Pentecost, just like the Spirit fell on the Jews. Now the Spirit is falling on the Gentiles. They've believed in Jesus. They put their faith in him. And God gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see evidence of that as they praise God and they speak in tongues. Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The reason why it matters that they're baptized is because we are baptized into the church. And so these people here, these Gentiles who, who hear the gospel, who believe the gospel, who receive the Holy Spirit, Peter immediately says, let's baptize them. And because when he says, let's baptize them, he's saying, let's bring them into our family. Let's let them join our community. Let's, let's unite with them uh, in relationship, in fellowship, in everything. He's inviting them in. He's welcoming them as Christ has welcomed him. He invites them in. And then Luke says, they asked him to remain for some days. So the Gentiles believe the gospel. They receive the Holy Spirit. They're, they're baptized into the family. And then right afterwards, immediately afterwards, there's fellowship. There's community. There's, there's family between Jew and Gentile. And the reason why this passage matters is because it, it shows us through a, through a narrative, through, through a story, the thing that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2. When he describes people who were, who were once alienated from God, they were, they, were, they were away from the commonwealth of Israel. They were behind a, a dividing wall of hostility. But Jesus has broke that wall down in his flesh. That's what we see happening in this passage. Right? We see the, this cataclysmic shift happening. Right? Imagine if, you know, tomorrow science, you know, science is an abstract force that's out there, right? If they created a pill or a, a thing, if you don't like pills, a thing that made it possible for like just germs not to exist, all germs gone, which means that it's totally okay to eat food off the floor. That sandwich in the trash from yesterday, no germs. Eat it. No, science will fix that. <laughs> I Just imagine if you could get to a place to where like that was totally normal and acceptable. This thing that was previously just outside your mind became normal. That is the kind of thing that's happening in this passage. Peter, Peter would have never associated with Gentiles. He never would have went to a tanner's house. He never would have invited three Gentiles into his house, especially when one of them was a Roman soldier. But the gospel has been transforming 
Peter. The gospel has been transforming the world. The gospel has been transforming culture so that this thing, which was previously like an insane thought, becomes normal in the life of the church. Now, there's going to be conflict that happens. There's going to be disagreements. They're going to have to figure out how all this stuff shakes out. And we're going to see that happen in the book of Acts. But today, we get to see the gospel going forth to a group of people who were previously alienated from God. And that, that's our story, too. And right now, right, there, are, there are people in your life, people who, who you have relationship with, people in our city, people in our country, people in our world who are like Cornelius, who God is intervening in their life to draw him to himself. To himself. Right? He, he's preparing the way for someone like Peter to come along and to share the good news, to, to fulfill the Great Commission. Right? We want to be people that go out with the good news, the good news that our God doesn't show partiality, that, th- that there's no one who's too unclean for him. That's who we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. That's what the good news of this passage should cause us to do. It should remind us of how God has accepted us and should motivate us to be people that are accepting of others. It doesn't mean that, you know, our, our sin and brokenness doesn't matter, right? Cornelius got sanctified after this point. Peter is still being sanctified after this point. But that there, there's no one that's outside the reach of his grasp. And that's the good news we, we believe, and, and, and that's the good news that we get to praise Jesus for together this morning. So, so let me pray, and then we'll continue in worship together. Father, we thank you that you do not show partiality. Because if you did, we, we, we could never be good enough. But instead, the good news is that we, we can't ever be bad enough. But that you give grace. You are our merciful and abounding and steadfast love. And you sent your son to to bring near those who are far off, to to break down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And we know that there there are still barriers to the gospel that exist in, in our hearts and in, in our community and in our culture and in our world that, that still need to be broken down. So we pray that you would send your spirit to, to do what only you can do and, and to use us as your people to, to be on your mission, preaching your good news. That, that we would both declare and demonstrate the good news that you don't show partiality. But that to everyone who believes, our sins can be forgiven and we can be made right. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us.
We pray that you would help us to, to worship you rightly as we uh, celebrate your, your life and death and resurrection in the Lord's Supper and as we continue to worship in song. Pray that you would help us to, to be encouraged and convicted and challenged and, and have our affections for who you are and what you've done for us stirred this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.